You're listening to What the Hell is Michael Jammin Talking About? Conversations in writing, art, and creativity. Today's episode is brought to you by my debut collection of true stories, A Paper Orchestra, available in print, ebook, and audiobook. To purchase and to support me and this podcast, please visit michaeljammin.com slash book. And now, on with the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to What the Hell is Michael Jammin Talking About? My next guest is an old colleague of mine, old friend from my days on King of the Hill. Uh, but before I, before, I, before I let him talk, his name is John Collier. Welcome to the show. But I'm gonna, let me tell you what he's done. This guy's credits are pretty incredible. So you sit back and relax. Let me tell you what he's done. So he wrote on The Simpsons. Okay, we know, we've heard of that show. Uh, I'm, and I'm only giving some of the highlights, some of the, some of the highlights. Uh, some Scooby-Doo's, which I did not know. King of the Hill, Monk, The Good Family, Bones, The Good Cop, Law and Order. It, I mean, this guy is done a you, Well, he's done a lot. But thank you so much, man, for doing the show. Oh, it's a pleasure, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let me tell you, let me tell you about who you are. Because I remember very clearly walking to my on my way to my office on King of the Hill. Yours was the uh, was I would always walk past you and I would often stop and say hello. Or sometimes I would just sit in your and you always had a big smile. You're always so happy to greet me and have me there. And I was and I, was, I never felt like I was getting in the way. You were like, hey, come on. In, come on. In. You're always very kind. I am endlessly in search of distractions. Yeah. I, well, I, I do remember walking past you on days like when you're on script and just looking miserable. <laughs> I am. Thank you. Nope, that's exactly it. Well observed. I am never more miserable than I am alone in writing. But why is that, do you feel? Oh, it's a horrible thing to do. Um, TV writing is one of the most fun, engaging, productive things you can do if you're with other people. I have found. Yeah. And I love that part of it. And the small portion of the job that um, relies on you being alone entails, I should say, you being alone and actually writing something without people around is misery for me. But is it the comedy part? Because you also do drama now. Which one is it? which one is harder? Comedy's harder. But but why? Okay. But yeah, I mean, I would agree with that as well. But is it miserable to write drama as well? It's. I find the process of keeping stuff alive and interesting and propulsive is really, really hard. And how do you know? How do you know when it's alive? What, sorry? How do you know? How do I know when it's right? Yeah. How do you know? That's part of what makes it so miserable right. is you, you can always second guess yourself. And even more so when there's jokes involved. Yeah. Well, for jokes, for sure. So, but and what was that transition like for you? I, I'm amazed that you anyone can do it. Oh, it was, um, I got very lucky. Um, what happened was that King of the Hill was, we got canceled. We remember yeah. it was the time the show got canceled. It was canceled two times. We left after the first time. Yeah, and I left. So it, was, it got canceled, and I, I really realized it was for real when they started moving our furniture out of the office. <laughs> because you were going to squat there? <laughs> I had every intention of squatting <laughs> You thought it was all a big bluff until they moved into the furniture. <laughs> and um, they, so that was happening. And um, I was just kind of, I'd done comedy for, I mean, yeah, for about 17 years at that point. Yeah. And um, I didn't love doing 
for camera comedy. I liked doing animation single, and there was no, there were no real single camera comedy comedies on the air at the time. Yeah, and I didn't quite know what to do. And but I, I knew I was. I'd stopped watching comedies. I kind of could feel the sweat in them, on them and the work on them because I'd worked in so many comedy rooms. Yeah, and I got really lucky, which is that. Um, Andy Breckman, who was running Monk at the time, who created the show, um, he used to have three guest writers come in every season. And he did that because he felt like he kept him on track. If you came in as a guest to the room in New York, um, you it, it made him concentrate and work harder and make sure that in five days you would break a story. Why? Because people flew in, you mean? Yeah, because the network would fly, the studio would fly you into New York and put you up, and they would only keep you there for five days. Okay. And so... That's interesting. I got one of those, and so I got one of those guest shots. And the other thing I got, way I got lucky was... That but wait, Andy, but how did you get that guest shot? I got that guest shot because... Uh, this is embarrassing. My <laughs> agent at the time, who I didn't think was doing enough for me, got me a meeting with Andy Breckman. Mm-hmm. And... Well, I thought it was just one meeting with Andy Brackman, who's a great guy and I love the show, but who knows if it's going to turn into anything. Um, I fired my agent, moved on to another agent, and then Andy called me up and said, oh, we want you to do this episode a month. Right. But there was no... <laughs> so, yeah, but I've already fired my agent. <laughs> but that was done. And I'll do it again. And... Um, what happened was that, um, uh, uh, so anyway, he, he, and he, Andy used to only hire comedy writers to do guest episodes. Why? Because his theory was that he could teach a comedy writer how to write a procedural. He could not teach a procedural writer how to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so anyway, they flew me to New York. I was in the room. We broke a story. Um, and I wrote it. And it, and it went well. The, the whole thing went well, and I got very lucky again because no one had ever really left the show or been added to it. This was the fourth season, and one writer was leaving, and Andy offered me the job. Right. So I came in and went on staff the next season. How many seasons did you do there? I just did. I did two more seasons, and then um, the writer's strike of 2007 happened. Right. And when that happened... Um, I didn't know how long that would go on. Mike and um, the Good family was starting up, and they got what was called a strike waiver. Okay. And there were certain show, show, certain production companies, and one was MRC, Media Rights Capital. Right. And they made a deal with the WGA, with the Writers Guild, that they could do shows that were um, during the strike and would not be strike-breaking to work on those shows if they agreed to... Um, uh, abide by the WGA's terms, the writers' terms. Yeah. So they were the WGA was using that as a tactic to try to force the studios to. Um, and it's funny they didn't really do that this last strike. No, it. I don't think it really helped. Oh, and you don't just, think it helped? It, I don't know if it did or actually no, I can't say if it did or not. I thought this. All I can say is I think this last strike was better run than the first one. I think a lot was learnt from the first one. Uh huh. I, I, anyway, I left Monk because I got a job right away rather than being strike. Right. Let me ask you that when you're on Monk and you're with procedural writers who are not comedy writers, when they would pitch something 
that you and I would call a clam or we're like not fret. Like you, if you would pitch it in the room at the Simpsons, the King of the Hill, someone would say, right. Was there a lot of that going on? Were you the guy who said, yeah, that's not really a joke. Well, no, at Monk though, you had, first of all, it was comedy writers. It was, it was a small staff. Okay. And it was four people whose background was comedy, including Andy Brackman. And then one high Conrad who was just a terrific mystery writer. And he had written something like 200 mystery books. Oh, wow. And the way he got on staff was that Andy met with him and took him out for lunch and said, look, I love your mystery books. And you have two choices. One is you come on staff or two is I'm just going to steal all your plots anyway. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was on this, whatever, came on staff and he was on Monk for the whole run. And then he, um, he was on The Good Cop with me, too. It was on the Thousand Other Andy Berkman show. Right. It's so interesting. And to what did you think of that world, I mean, compared to comedy? Well, it was a really kind of easy, delicate transition because mm -hmm. it was a mystery show, once again, written by comedy writers. It was light. It was fun. Yeah, a procedural written by non-comedy writers is would have been a tougher adjustment for me. But, but even the procedural, like, explain to, pe to me and everyone else, like, like what how do you write a procedural i think there's many different ways to write a procedural the way i write a procedural is um what really happens comes first what really happens comes first what does that mean so you have okay you have to have a, what you have to think of is what was our crime what are we what are what, what's the procedure about what are we investigating Okay, so give me an example. Uh, it's not a medical procedural. This is a criminal procedural I'm talking right. about. Okay, so someone's dead. Someone, killed, someone is dead. And then you have all sorts of questions you can ask that can form the basis for an episode. You can say, oh, is it an accident? Is it a suicide? Is it a murder? Right. If it is a murder, who did it? Why did they do it? Who could have done it? Um, there's any number of what you, is it an open book where the audience knows what happened? Is it right. a closed book where the audience doesn't know and learns along with our investigators? And what, and what did, you, did you basically do both? Monk did both opened and closed book. And mm -hmm. Monk also did a combination of whodunits, like who is the killer, why does that, why done it? Like we know who the killer is, but why on earth would they kill someone? And that's how we can prove they did it. Right. And how done it? It's an incredibly, like it's a locked room mystery, for instance, where Someone was killed inside a locked room. How did, how did the killer get in there and do it? Interesting. You have to figure out how the crime was done. And so these words are so funny. So you would, as you were breaking the story, you'd break them in the room with the all the writers, I assume, right? Yeah. And then you'd, you'd throw out ideas and then you someone would say, okay, but let's do this and make it a wide, let's make it a wide done it this week. Is that what it is? Well, I think we'd look at the killing and say, what's a really, really ingenious killing we could do? Okay. Okay, let's look at the motive. And then we'd say last, but you'd spend probably, say you were breaking a story over the course, if it was just us, we'd probably spend seven to eight days breaking a story if we weren't having a guest writer in. Right. And the first three or four days probably were spent just figuring out how the crime was done and why. Really this getting seems very hard to me. Doesn't this, seem, doesn't this seems very hard to me. For me, it was... Somewhat natural, a somewhat natural way to do it because it was really fun. And for some, I feel like I was using my comedy muscles, even my plotting muscles to uh -huh. figure out why you did it, 
And then you work backwards once, and this is just us. Other shows do it different ways. There's right. probably a million different ways to do it. Okay, but you start work backwards. So first you decide if it's gonna be a who, what, or why. Is that what uh, it is? First of, all, you, first of all, you can't figure out who killed who and why. Who killed who? Okay. Who killed who? How do they do it? Why do they do it? Where do they do it? All those things. Then you figure out how do we solve it? Okay. And for a show like Monk, you'd also say, well, I have someone who has OCD, I have someone who was painfully shy. I have someone who has any number of traumas in his life. Right. Also a comic character who happens to be the saddest person on television. <laughs> okay. And he has a tragedy to his life. And what's the world I can put him in to make him the most uncomfortable? Right. Right. And that's how you begin. That's where and you that's start often from. Where you're, that's often where the fun of it comes from. The comedy is from seeing him in the world where he's uncomfortable. His comedy is all about discomfort. Right. Uh, the emotional story would often come from how he will relate to the world and what it would bring up in his own life. And then the procedural story is how you solve the crime. Go, and and you, go, go ahead. ahead, sorry. No, no, go ahead. The way uh, one could look at it is... Um, for us on that show, the procedural story was almost with the armature. It's what you would call the plot, I guess. Yeah. And the real story was the emotional story that was threaded through the plot. Right, of course. And the two of them dovetail, and one comments on the other. Right. When you have, like a musical comedy, for instance, where songs are the, act, are, 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 are the twists. They provide the transition points in the story. You could say the emotional twists where the procedural twists would provide a, a transition point for each other. It and still sounds very hard to me. <laughs> Do you, does it get easier? It's well, I think it probably sounds hard because I'm probably overcomplicating it. Well, not if really, you, because you're solving them, you know, because Seymour and I are thinking of writing a procedural. And so we're watching some and I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't think I know how to do this. Oh, I'll, I'll help you with it. Oh, good. You're hired. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that hard because it's actually easier, I found, than writing an episode of King of the Hill where someone buys a new hat and it changes their life. And you have to kind of, you have to make a whole story out of that. Right. Yeah. But you still have to figure out, it's a mystery. You're solving a crime and, and you have to make it so it's smart. And uh, I mean, we, I've watched other ones where they, they throw in a clue just when you need it. Oh, good. <laughs> good. I dug a new clue so I can figure out another scene. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and, and there's shows that do that. And there's shows that, I found, like, if you look at a show like Mare of Easttown. Right. I haven't that's seen it. a okay. serialized procedural. And what you realize is it's not about solving the crime. I mean, they solve the crime, but it's really about the emotional drama right. that's happening. Right. And the crime is, once again, it's almost the backdrop for it. Right. But to me, that's what makes it so, uh, like, that's why I want to get rid of the crime. That's why, I, can we just fo focus on the relationship between the mother and the daughter? <laughs> like, yeah, well, that, that I get. <laughs> And it's the one I thought does comment on the other, and they're both about family. And oh, right, I, I felt like that show worked pretty well. It's very much not a show that I would know how to do. Well, and that takes me to Law and you know your your latest, but okay, Bones, and the, and let's talk about what you're doing now. Law, it's like it, that's very different, Law and Order. Well, I'm not doing Law and Order now. I stopped after last season. Oh, you did? Okay, but but it, that yeah. must be very procedural. I mean, like procedural, very procedural. procedural um, very different beast. I mean, it was 
a challenge to figure it out, but I think I'm much more comfortable in the space where there's more character involved. Yeah, right, right. And I, I would think. My, 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 the part I like best is it's where I've been most comfortable and enjoyed the most is character-driven procedurals. Right, which is kind of like what USA does, right? Well, back when they existed. Back when they were doing it. Yeah, so they, they you know, in other shows, there's, there's been a lot of character-based procedurals on TV over the years. Mm-hmm. And that's what Bones was. Bones right. was a character-based procedural. And you and you were the showrunner of that. You were the executive producer. I was the showrunner for a while, yes. Yeah. And and that was the first time, was that the first time you ran a show or no? No, I'd run another show on the CW called As If. Oh, the- but this is the first, I still would imagine, now that you're the boss of the procedural, I don't know. Like, ah, 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 I need help. <laughs> it's so, it seems so hard to me. Um, well, I'm in that so, case, I, I, I took over a show that was already working very well. Right. Art Hansen created it, was 100 yards away on the Fox lot in his office. Okay. I could always go running to him for help if I needed it. Right. And you had the same staff. Said, Sorry? And you had the staff, the previous staff, same staff? We had much of the same staff. And I had a co-showrunner, Michael Peterson, who was terrific. Yeah. And I had um, Stephen Nathan, who I took over the show from and only left because he got, he got ill. Um was still a very close friend and I could call him up whenever I needed to. Yeah. It was, I think starting from scratch is always much harder or walking into a situation not immediately comfortable is always much harder too. And, but now that you've kind of, like I see this as opening a lot of doors for you. Has it? Because now you have two genres under your belt. Yes and no. Um, It's always hard. I mean, you have to always be out there and whatever writing and, there's, there's a limited number of jobs that people yeah. that a lot of people want to do. Yes. And the people who want to do those jobs tend to be, it's, it's one of the, when you think of it, just in terms of being practical, it's a great profession when you're doing it, but it's one of the stupidest professions to try to do. Why? Because your competition is really smart, yeah. really talented, really talented, really inspired, really wants to do it. And works really hard. There's a lot of businesses that aren't like that. You are listening to What the Hell is Michael Jammin Talking About? Today's episode is brought to you by my new book, A Paper Orchestra, A Collection of True Stories. John Mayer says it's fantastic. It's multi-timbral. It runs all levels of the pyramid at the same time. His knockout punches are stinging sincerity. And Kirkus Review says... Those who appreciate the power of simple stories to tell us about human nature or who are bewitched by a storyteller who has mastered his craft will find a delightful collection of vignettes, a lovely anthology that strikes a perfect balance between humor and poignancy. So, you know, my podcast is is not advertiser supported. I'm not running ads here. So if you'd like to support me or the podcast, come check out my book. Go get it an ebook or a paperback. Or if you really want to treat yourself, check out the audio book. Go to michaeljammin.com slash book. And now back to our show. How do you know? Were you in a lot of businesses? I have a side business. What is your, what is your side business? Is it you oh. rent folding chairs for parties? Well, no. I, I, I actually do multifamily housing. Wait. Oh, well, you told, I knew about this. Right. And, and but, believe me, my competition in multifamily housing will be <laughs> damned if they want to spend 80 bucks to fix the toilet the right way. But uh, now, do you build or you refurbish? What is that? What does that mean? 
I, I do it with a partner who's also a writer, and we um, we refurbish and build and rent. And is it in LA or all over the country? It's in Los Angeles. This is amazing. I remember, and that's, it, but it, I don't know, that's a whole different skill set. Like who told you you were qualified to do that? I think we always revert back to who we are. Which was, and, you were always a real estate mogul in the beginning? <laughs> oh, I'm not a mogul by any means. We're mom and pop um, level of multifamily housing, but uh, whatever. My family had small family businesses, probably going back to the Middle Ages. Yeah. And um, they were butchers and bakers and ran a little inn, like did all those things. And that's where like I immediately felt comfortable doing this. Really? And how did you, but was it your idea to get into how, like who, who's, how did that idea come up? That came up during the 2007 strike also. Yeah. It's, everything comes up during the strike when you're out of work. So you're out of work. You're walking around with a picket sign. Yeah. I was thinking, wait a second. I'm walking around uh, with a picket sign with a lot of angry middle-aged guys. Yeah. They're all mad at their fathers and taking it out of the studio. And <laughs> okay. We are at the mercy. We're, we're putting ourselves in the position where we're walking around with a sign. Yeah. Waiting for a giant multinational corporation. Yeah. To pay us a lot of money to do something that we frankly love to do. Right. Yeah. And I'm not really in control of my fate here. No, we're not. And so that's when we, this, my partner and I decided to do it. And then fortunately for us, um, it, I know what happened. I, I talked about it and, I, and, and I, I started talking about it with a um, one, one of my daughter's babysitters. How many and babysitters does she have? <laughs> we had a hundred babysitters, a hundred okay. best babysitters in all of Los Angeles. She required a lot of babysitters. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. When, when we go out, we'd have like whatever right. five people we call, whatever, and they'd all come over at once. <laughs> no, and, <laughs> and um this woman um was actually getting I, I talked to her about it because while she was babysitting for us, she was getting her real estate license. Okay. Wow. And so she called me up and said, I have a I have a building for you. And it's a really good deal. And Washington Mutual Bank is trying to unload it really fast. Right. This is just in, this is now 2008 or so, and the whole market, real estate market's falling apart. And like, how many units is this building approximately? This unit, th this building has five units. Okay. So it's small. We did not know what we were doing, but right. we went and looked at it and um, we bought it. And Okay, this is very, and we had to make a company first. You had to do all the legal stuff. Um, we, yeah, we formed what's called an LLC. Yeah. Um, we talked to a lawyer who was the cousin of someone, and they right. told us what to do. So, and the real estate, as it turned out, was a brilliant idea. It was probably the best idea you've ever had in LA. It was <laughs> a very, very lucky time to do it. Yeah. And so, you know, like people I found, once again, like I was saying earlier, my competition in real estate was not as talented or hardworking or smart as my competition in television writing, right. but they were a lot luckier. And 
just by the, the strange confluence of events um, where interest rates went down and the economy started to pick up. Yeah. Eventually, we all just just by 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 good fortune, by luck, we we, we got very we worked out well. It worked. Yeah. This is important because, you know, as you mentioned, it's re, you know nothing is guaranteed as a writer. Nothing is guaranteed, and so to have something on the side is you know really helpful. Gives you some oh, breathing. I recommend to people. I always tell whatever when I talk to actors, I'm always thrilled when I hear that they're writing, even though they're pretending yeah. to be good writers. And I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, and or, or or when they're doing something when when they're when they're going to law school when they're doing anything else. It's just nice to have a backup. It helps you sleep better at night. It does. It Yeah, it really does. You I wanna, what's that? You have your podcast. This, this, this is my empire, as you see. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, my media empire. <laughs> um, I want to, now you wrote one of the, you wrote an episode of King of the Hill. Because when I talk about King of the Hill, and this is 20 years ago, we were doing it. People, one episode people often bring up to me is the Bobby, is the Pygmalion episode, which you oh, wrote. Oh, oh. <laughs> like people want to know about that. And we were just joining the show at that time. I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah. I still think about that episode. I actually, <laughs> I, when I said I hate writing alone, I don't hate all of writing alone. Uh -huh. I love the last two or three days of writing alone. Right. So You're I punching don't up. like face with a blank page. Yeah. And once I've kind of taken a sledgehammer and beaten that script into shape, actually turning it from serviceable to good is actually fun. Right. That part of it. And I remember the last three days or so on that script were really fun. But how did it, I mean, that was a departure. I mean, everyone there said, this is, this is a departure. This is the episode which ended in a really dark place. <laughs> it was a gothic thriller. Yeah. <laughs> how did you how did you sell it to Greg, to the staff? Was he I don't know if he was running the show then. How did you sell it? It's was a, it was a departure. Greg was there. So Greg was still there. I don't know if he was officially running the show, but he was there. <clears throat> Greg had to approve everything. He was there. Yeah. And Greg, God bless him. Not only did he embrace the gothic nature of it, but he pushed it even more. Okay. And some of the really strong gothic elements, <laughs> like killing. Yeah, the guy died at the end. Who <laughs> are loved. Um, I think that may have been Greg's idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> Was there a moment, though, when you go, wait a minute, are, are you sure? that This doesn't seem like the tone of the show. I mean, it's mostly Hank watering, you know, his lawn. <laughs> Oh no! Once we were going to do it, I was I, I, I was off full speed ahead. I I, I uh -huh. wanted to embrace it also. Uh -huh. Now there were other people there at the time. It was a big staff, and they whatever everyone had valid opinions. There were people who did not embrace it the way that yeah. I, um they were entitled to that. Yeah. Um, but I think we pretty much got the episode we wanted up on the screen for sure, man. I mean, <laughs> I mean that got some big. Re I remember watching the color in the animation. You know, we watched the color in the room. <laughs> That's a big laugh. It was like, whoa! <laughs> yeah, there were very large twists and turns. Yeah, it's always it's always really fun to 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 push a genre. It is you know, a I carefully observed, closely observed family comedy and turn it into a large scale gothic film. <laughs>
<laughs> you know, I had a conversation with Dave Krinsky, who's the, he ran the show at one point, you know that. And, um, and it's, the funny thing is with people on social media, they, they, they're still watching King of the Hill. I haven't watched it since we were on it. Cause then, you know, and when, that's it, you know, you leave it alone, you're on to the next show. And people really remember it. They, they remember it. They want to talk about it. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't really remember this episode. And and I, Krinsky felt the same way. He's like, and he ran it. It's like, I don't really remember this. You know, do you remember everything? Oh, no. No. It's interesting that I think people have this expectation of the writers that it, it, we should still be living in it. And, you know, we can't because we have to move on to the, whatever else we're writing. Yeah. Now, you only have so much room in your head. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part of it is, oh, yeah, we're too busy hanging on to every grudge and slight and moment of shame in our lives to use in our comedy. Yeah. Well, that may, okay, so that, I mean, I know you don't have too much time, but what do you want to, <clears throat> what do you write, like, what we, what do you want to write next? Do you want to write procedural comedy? What, what, what do you want to do? I really like the procedural space. I'm working on a procedural right now with a terrific writer who I was on Bones with. Um, to sell as, as a pitch. Yeah. 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 Well, that sounds, that makes sense. I mean, and given your track record, I would assume it'd probably be easier for you to sell a procedural. I don't know. Isn't there maybe no? I have no idea. I mean, I have, we, we, we are in an odd market, so we'll see. What do you know about the market? Like, what do you, you know, I hear just from talking to other writers, I don't, I don't think anybody really knows. What do you know about the market? Oh, nothing. I, I know what I read in the trades. I know what I read in Deadline Hollywood. Yeah, and by that, you mean you know what's getting picked up? Yeah, I, I know what everyone else knows. I have yeah. no information. I do know anecdotally, my friends at least have had trouble selling things. We're having trouble selling. Yeah, right now, that's what I'm telling them because they don't know how much money they have. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, we're, we're, it's an inflection point in the business. Yeah. And there's been periodic inflection points, whatever, where it's pointed in one direction or another, but no one really knows what they mean while they're in, while, while, while you're in them. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. That's, that's what's so smart about um, <laughs> real estate, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that really, I mean, I'm still hung up on that. And I know this is not a podcast about that, but it, I, in a way it is, it's a podcast about having your fingers in many, whatever mm -hmm. it is, pots or something. Pies. What is it? I don't know what the expression is. Uh, it's, it's generally pies. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> what about a pot pie? <laughs> like a chicken pot pie. It's generally pies, he said. Man. So, okay, so that's what you're, that's kind of what you're taking out there is you're working on. And how often do you meet and do you work on it? Oh, we meet um, every day. <clears throat> really? More or less every day. I like to work for about three or four hours. Yeah. In um, person, you meet. I know we we work on Zoom, uh -huh. and I, I don't like Zoom rooms, and I've been in some of those, but yeah. I like working with just one writer on Zoom. If you know them well, it's 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 fun. I mean, I found that in a regular room, and I'm sure you, people have told you this um, on your podcast and otherwise, that especially when you're no anything anything character based, any show, even if it's not character based. The fun of it really is, and, and a lot of the creativity comes from what's not going on in the room. It comes from walking to lunch. It comes from grabbing a cup of coffee. It comes from killing time, doing something else on the lot. or, or yeah. your office. And that's when the ideas kind of come out of you. Yeah. And you don't get that on Zoom. No, you don't. I wonder. I, yeah, so, the, so it was never bad. 
the rooms never got back. The last show I was on, it was it was still Zoom. Have you done any? Have you gone back in person? Uh no, no. Isn't that weird? Really? Um, I mean, I helped out. I did some punch up on a movie, and that was in person. And on a, some punch up on an HBO series. Really? I didn't go, but it was that was a whatever a mini room. Um, and that was the, the, those were both in person, but they were small and they were limited duration. So like a, a full functioning show on uh, in person, I have not done since the pandemic. I wonder. Yeah, I wonder. They're just trying to save money. I don't think they're about saving lives. I think it's about saving money. I think they're saving money. I think that sometimes one thing they found during Zoom is you get a writers in different cities. Yeah. And so if you have writers in different cities to layer to even the playing field, they whatever everyone's on Zoom rather than someone being in New York and someone being in Seattle and someone being in Los Angeles. But I certainly enjoy and benefit from the physical presence of other writers. Yeah. It's hard yeah. enough to do with just, it's it's much easier and more fun when you're with other people. For yeah. Me, I, I have worked with writers who love being alone doing it. They have an entirely different experience and approach to it. Well, a lot of it is about the, just the commute to work. You're probably central. I'm fairly central, but I know I know people who actually they don't want to be in a room. We've, I've worked with wonderful writers who would much prefer to be alone and just and, and knock it out. Do you like going on working on set? Do you like being on set? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I think it depends. Every set has its own character, <clears throat> politics, and it's not particularly fun being on set if you have a difficult lead. Yes. Um, or whatever, if there's something going on there, or if there's tension between the stars, or if there's, ten there's any number of ways you can have tension on the set. Um, by and large, I've been very lucky. They've been good sets, and it's been fun. Yeah. And it's also, it's the last step, and whatever. You, one thing you realize on the set is when you spend significant time on the set, you realize how many people are really authoring the show that you may have, quote, written. That you may have, I'm sorry, what? What? If you, you 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 your name is on a script, oh, but everyone on that set, hair and makeup, mm -hmm. uh, your age, your whatever, your director, your <laughs> everyone has a your your camera operators. They're all helping create that show. Yeah, yeah, helping writers in their own way, and they're and they're adding elements to it. Yeah, yeah, and and I know I, I have to ask this because we have so many fans of The Simpsons. But what was that whole experience like for you? Because oh, you, were, you um, were there in the early days. Fairly early days. Um, it was really, it, it was, first of all, it was a huge break in my career. Yeah. That was good to, for me. Um, I didn't have my first child until very late in my stay there. And that changed everything where you suddenly, oh, wait, sitting here with other comedy writers till 1130 at night might not be as, as energizing and fun when you have a baby to get home mm -hmm. to. Yeah, that you want to see, but and so the hours were fairly brutal back then. But I still wouldn't trade it for anything. I can't imagine though that the hours are like that now, right? No, they're fairly. From what I have friends who are still there, and the hours are very sane now, and they're generally home for dinner. I mean, what's that's so interesting is that, like, they've made a career. You know, that show's been on thirty what thirty five years or something. Oh yeah, and they can still turn out some terrific episodes. And 
but it, but it's a career like your career. Okay, I'm in, you might as well be working at Exxon. I mean, that's your that's your career. You get a gold watch, and then that's and you're done. You know. When I left Simpsons, it was after season eight, and I thought this, they were trying to get me to go to King of the Hill, mm-hmm. and I had whatever I had the chance to stay at Simpsons, and I thought, well, there's no way it goes past season ten. Yeah, or any <laughs> show goes past season ten. Yeah, it yeah. just doesn't happen. And so, yeah, I, I left. I thought I kind of felt badly leaving, but I thought much, but what's much better to go on a show with some life in it. Yeah, but then again, it's also it's so like these people they have that job they have job security, which is unheard of in Hollywood. It is absolutely unheard of, and no, it's actually that's one of the great gigs to have right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I know you got to go because we talked about this earlier, but I want to thank you in person as we want to hang up and and then briefly thank you and then I'll let you leave. Oh, thank you for having me. This was really fun. uh, Is, uh, you know, and it was, this is honestly, it was so interesting catching up and and just hearing your perspective on all this. And, and, and yeah, you're going to be our, if the show ever goes, you're our first hired to make a procedural. I don't know how to make, I don't know how to do any of this. Oh, thank uh, you. Yeah. Are we on on air now or are we uh, recording still? Not yet. I'll I'll sign off and I'll stop recording. Okay, Okay, everyone. Thank you so much. That was John Collier. Great guy. Everyone, he promised me a job on air. You heard it. I did say that. (laughs) Yeah, but this show's got to go. That's a bigger... So it's an empty promise. (laughs) So, all right, everyone. Thank you so much. Uh, Oh, yeah. Paper Orchestra drops this this week. My my new collection of uh, true stories at michaeljammon.com. Go check it out. All right, everyone. Thanks so much. Until next week. Keep writing. Wow. I did it again. Another fantastic episode of What the Hell is Michael Jammon Talking About? How do I do it week after week? Well, I I don't do it with advertiser-supported money. I tell you how I do it. I do it uh, with my book. If you'd like to support the show, if you'd like to support me, go check out my new book, A Paper Orchestra. It asks the question, what if it's the smallest, almost forgotten moments that are the ones that shape us most? Laura Sanjagoma says, good storytelling also leads us to ourselves, our memories, our beliefs, personal and powerful. I loved the journey. And Max Muchnick, who was on my show, says, as the father of daughters, I found Michael's understanding of parenting and the human condition to be spot on. This book is a fantastic read. Go check it out for yourself. Go to michaeljammon.com book. Thank you all and stay tuned. More great stuff coming next week.